Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Mark Erlander. He's the CEO of Cardiff Oncology, and we're going to talk about uh, his work with uh, colorectal cancer and what he's discovered. So, Mark, thanks for coming. Thank you for inviting me to your Finding Genius podcast. I'm honored to uh, be one of your podcasts. Thanks uh, for your interest in Cardiff Oncology. Yeah, tell me, how did you get interested in, in cancer? How did you cross paths with it? Well, it was about 20 years ago or a little more than that, actually. I got started looking at cancer way back in uh, when I was working for Johnson & Johnson as a research fellow. We were looking at a lot of databases of you know, sort of the genetics and the genomics of tumors, because that was really exploding during that time in the mid-1990s and 2000s. So uh, that's how I got started. And I got involved and then got involved in diagnostics and oncology, uh, developed some tests, breast cancer and metastatic disease, and then um, got involved in, in this actually uh, at Cardiff four years ago. But uh, I've, been, I've been very, very interested in oncology simply because, you know, when I was looking at things to do as a scientist, it became really clear to me that with the whole genome being sequenced back in over 20 years ago, you know, this is really the first place where you could really use that information was in, was clear to me was in oncology. And so I wanted to do something and try to, and try to make a difference in my lifetime on something. So that's how I got, that's how I really got started. Okay. And then of the cancers, why colorectal? Why the focus there? Well, you know, at Cardiff, we're actually at, we're in multiple different indications. We're in prostate cancer, we're in leukemias, but, um, our flagship program is in colorectal cancer because of the of really uh, what we're seeing from an efficacy point of view and and uh, the fact that we do I do believe in colorectal we have two shots on goal because the tumors 50% of the metastatic colorectal cancer tumors have this really deleterious oncogene called KRAS PLK inhibitors such, such as ours on Vansertib can really unique uh, kill those tumors uh, more like readily than if the uh, Tumor, tumor type did not have the KRAS mutation. And then on top of that, the uh, standard of care today that they use for these patients is this um, chemotherapy. Uh, it's a cocktail. And we actually have with our small molecule oral drug, we have uh, what they call synergy with these chemo drugs. So these chemo drugs are, are always are given to people, the standard of care. And we found in our, in basically preclinical models that we have what we call a synergy. That is to say, unexpected result in the sense that one plus one equals three uh, with uh, regards to killing tumor cells. So their pathways, the pathways inter, uh, sort of interlace with each other and, and cause a, a greater effect than one would expect. So because of those two things, we got colorectal, we really went after it aggressively. So colorectal cancer, where are the, where, what's the tropism for the metastatic sites? Where do they tend to go? Well, 50% of them go to the liver, but also um, peritoneum, you know, uh, and lung and 
but most, you know, a lot of it goes to the liver, but also to some other areas such as lung, the uh, sort of your gut. Okay. I know tumors are heterogeneous. So is your inhibitor, I guess it's an immunotherapy type action and is it target specific metastases or anywhere there's tumor burden? Well, yeah, that's a great question, uh, Richard. So um, on Vansertib, which is the name of the drug, first thing you have to learn when you get involved in drug drug development is that the names that they have you come up with are all very hard to pronounce. But anyway, so on Vansertib <laughs> is our drug and it, it actually inhibits a an enzyme. So it's not immunotherapy, but it's actually, there is a key enzyme that allows tumor cells to go from one tumor cell to two tumor cells. In other words, the cell division. And tumor cells are much more vulnerable to the inhibition of this enzyme than normal cells. So you have a therapeutic window where you can preferentially kill tumor cells by giving Onvansertib, our, our drug, uh, because it really goes after a very specific enzyme that's critical uh, for tumor cells to, to divide. Well, chemo, from what I understand, it, it um, goes after fast dividing cells. But with your drug, I mean, with this missing enzyme, or with this enzyme, wouldn't that slow down proliferation and then it would, chemo would be less effective against cancers? Well, what happens, it's a great question. So what happens with um, some of the chemos given, and particularly the ones in colorectal, which are named uh, Irina Tcan and 5-FU are the two chemos that are given in combination. What they actually do is they cause DNA damage. They cause the tumor cells, the DNA of the tumor cells to be damaged. So when that tumor cell is starting to divide and go from one to two, there's a natural process or a checkpoint that all cells have, normal cells, tumor cells, um, which is that they try to um, repair the DNA. Now, in the case of, uh, if you give chemo, you know what, you, what happens is the DNA uh, damage is so great that usually that would result in the tumor cell going to cell death. It just can't repair the DNA enough, so it just dies. But in tumor cells, they overexpress and hijack this enzyme that we target called PLK1 is the enzyme. And so PLK1 actually suppresses that stopping and allows them to shoot right through to cell division. So what, where chemo can fall down in, in the sense of not be effective is when the tumor cell can, can divide, even irrespective of having DNA damage. But they, what they do is they hijack PLK1. And PLK1 is a very efficient enzyme, very pleiotropic enzyme that controls cell division. And so, and it suppresses that checkpoint of DNA damage. And so tumor cells can ride right through in and without um, dying because of the DNA damage. So they actually work well together, actually. And that's part of the reason for the synergy. You in DNA damage and inhibit the PLK1. So tumor cells recruit PLK1, I guess, in abundance so that they can continue to divide? Yeah, PLK1 is overexpressed in tumor cells. And um, they're, they're more vulnerable to inhibition of PLK1 because of that. They rely on it. They're very dependent on PLK1. So it's kind of a little bit of a, one way to, that can think of it is, is it's, PLK1 is a, an Achilles heel to, for tumors. Because if you can inhibit that, you can stop those tumors from dividing. All right. So they, they, the cells produce it themselves or do they pull it well, from like the interstitial or where does it come from? I mean, all cell. I mean, tumor cells. All cells have PLK1. It's an enzyme. It's it's involved in the cell division process. But tumor cells overexpress PLK1 and are more dependent upon it and more more vulnerable and hypersensitive to the inhibition of that enzyme. And so, you can kill a tumor cell, and at that same concentration, a normal cell will be unaffected. 
So that's really the premise. That's the crux of the argument for targeting this enzyme in, in tumors in general. So what's, um, how do you administer this? You, uh... it's, a, it, it's an oral drug. And uh, so it's a, it's a small, small molecule and it's, it's oral and it has a half-life of about one day in humans. So it actually goes away relatively quickly, which is, which is also a good um, property. So what's, uh, I mean, how far are you in, in terms of the clinical trials? What, what model are you using? Organoids or animals? No, no, we're, we're, we're in patients. And so we have three ongoing clinical trials right now. And we are, one is in leukemia. Another one is in prostate cancer, specifically castrate resistant prostate cancer. And the third um, is the one we're talking about, which is in metastatic colorectal cancer, specifically the KRAS mutated form of, of the metastatic disease which like I said, is 50% of, of um, all metastatic colorectal cancer patients have that. But we also um, just got the May proceed letter from the FDA to start a trial on pancreatic cancer. And so hopefully we'll have a patient dose before the first half of this year. But that we're very interested in pancreatic because, you know, we've been talking a little bit about this deleterious uh, oncogene called KRAS. And I said it was 50% in metastatic. Well, in pancreatic cancer, it's 95%. It's pretty much all patients. That's, that's good. Next yeah, all, right. All patients, pretty much all patients who have pancreatic cancer, it's driven by KRAS. And so we, we believe that we have a shot at it, uh, given the data that we have so far in colorectal cancer. So it's, it's um, and that, of course, is another, I think everybody on the planet knows that that's a huge unmet need is pancreatic cancer. What's the effect when you administer this? Uh, you know, what happens? Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. It's actually um, well tolerated. In general, I would say that it's, there's really, we have not, uh, at the doses that we have, we give the patient based on our data, they really don't have any GI problems. They don't have, they don't lose their hair, uh, no alopecia, and there's no myelosuppression. That is to say white, white blood cells down or neutrophils down at, at the doses that um, we give. So I would say in overall, um, it's a well-tolerated drug. But what's observed with the tumors? Do they shrink? Do they just simply stop growing and allows chemo um, to attack they, them? Like what happens? Right. So all of the above. So what we see in colorectal cancer is that um, depending on the patient, some patients have significant uh, tumor shrinkage. You know, over fifty percent of the tumor shrinks, and it's, you know, it's, it's a, enough, enough for them to then go on to a surgery. But also, we do have patients that it's really what we call stable disease. That is to say, we stop the tumors from growing, but we don't shrink them that much. So there's, you know, there's obviously. The question would be, well, well, why this? And I, I think you already mentioned the word heterogeneous, which is the pro- was issue, and it's a problem. Is that even within a given tumor type, 
uh, like what we're talking about, colorectal cancer, the underlying drivers and the underlying pathways that drive that tumor to multiply and divide can be different in each patient to a certain extent. So you sometimes you get much greater responses and others you don't. But the, it's usually, and the reason for it is the underlying genomics or underlying genetics of that tumor. So when would this be used? Is it uh, with the first set of chemo? Is it, uh, well, you know, we, if someone's in remission, would you pulse it to them periodically? Yeah, I mean, right now, um, you know, we're, it's, it's, this drug has not been approved by the FDA yet. And so we are, you know, you know, are not going into a first line situation. We do have to do a bit of, you know, proving ground and showing the efficacy and the value of this, of Onvansertib. So we, we are in, you know, metastatic disease, clearly, but within that, we're going after what we call, what is called second line therapy in metastatic uh, colorectal cancer. So what does that mean? Well, that means that the patient, uh, in this case, um, these patients, the, the half of the patients that have the KRAS mutation, they first get a chemo cocktail. Uh, it's called uh, Fulfox. Uh, it's, it's an oxyplatin-based chemotherapy. And then once they, you know, for those patients that progress um, after a certain, or relapse after a certain amount of time from that, then they are eligible for second line, or they become second line. And there they get a different chemo backbone, which is an arena TCAN plus uh, 5-FU. And that's where we would play a role. We would, we would, we, because when you look at the response rates um, in colorectal cancer, for first line, patients do reasonably well. I mean, 50% of the patients will have tumor shrinkage. But it's only after those patients that then relapse after, after that first, first line treatment um, that the um, the numbers um, the prognosis is really poor ten percent ten percent survival in five years and uh, response rates are a single digit you know you know five ten percent so you really have this precipitous cliff um, in second line and this is really where it desperately needed to have a, a, another option uh, for these patients to extend their lives so when that's does, really- when does uh, KRAS tend to um, show up I know it depends on the cancer but does it show up in primary tumors or is it much higher expressed in metastases? It's, it's a driver. Yeah. Great question. It's, it's a driver for cancers in, in colorectal cancer. It does, it is, it does drive. It, it's an early, it's an earlier event. It's one of the early events of, of, uh, of uh, the tumor in colorectal cancer. So it, it's something that occurs relatively quickly after, as a tumor starts to develop. So it is considered a, a driver, tumor genesis in CRC, and the same for in pancreatic cancer. So what happens with, um, I mean, does the efficacy fall off as the tumor expresses differently to get around it? Or is this such a fundamental expression mechanism for, for cancer that, you know, this therapy works and because, again, the cancer just cannot adopt around it? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, tumors are, have ways of getting around, you know, therapies. So we, we don't have a hundred percent response rate in our trials. So we're, you know, right now we're reporting about 35 to 40% versus standard of care, which is five to 10. So we're, we're, we're clearly way above what's out there today for these patients as we, as we sit here today with the data, it's, it's early data though. But I'd say that yes, in general, tumors uh, it's it's a whack-a-mole kind of concept where you bop one thing out and then they pops up somewhere else. And so, you know, we continue to, with us here, what we're trying to do with Onvansertib is we're adding it to, like, for instance, chemotherapies in this case and 
anti-androgen therapies in prostate cancer, where with non, in a non-chemo combination there, we really are adding, uh, uh, you know, a, a blocking yet another pathway so that the tumors have a less likelihood um, to uh, find a, a resistance mechanism or resistant pathway. But it's a constant. Well, what's been observed when they do find a way to get around, you know, this enzyme, what, what do they do instead? Can you determine that? Well, we, at this point in time, we have not gotten down to the, it's a great question, gotten down to the molecular underpinnings of the resistance. Uh, that's something that we are studying. I'd say that um, from, a, from a clinical point of view, of course, the patient's tumor starts growing, which is obvious, but, so there, that, but that's, you know, that's what you see is that the tumor starts to grow again. But the question I think you're asking is, well, why? And we don't know exactly how that is now yet, but we are studying that in preclinical and also in patients, we're looking at the all that you know. We look at the entire genetic profile of each tumor that a patient you know is on the trial, and to look for clues and for correlatives of those that you know progressed versus those that had tumor shrinkage. So we're trying to draw those those investigative lines, but um, we'll know a lot more as we get more patients on this trial. Are you looking into experimentation to figure out the mechanism by which the cancer is evading you know, yes. this, uh, this enzyme restriction? Absolutely. We're really two roads there. Road number one is one that I was just talking about, which is the sort of what we call a genetic profile of the tumor. Now, when I use the word genetic, some people say, oh, you're talking about, you know, germline. It's No, I'm talking about the DNA, you know, of that tumor and what is diff- what is the makeup of that that, that DNA, does it, what, does it have mutations? Which mutations are they? And does the mutations that in a patient and patients that progress and uh, do they have certain mutations that those that have shrinkage don't have? So are there, are there obvious differences really at the clinical level where you're studying the, really the molecular makeup of the, each patient's tumor? The second way that we're doing it is more experimental in the sense that we're looking to see in tumor cells that you can grow in culture in, in the lab, you know, whether or not, you know, what is the resistance mode? What, when you add our drug on Vansertib onto those cells and you continue to do that, you'll kill a lot of them, but there, there might, there will be, you know, some that survive. And how did they survive? Now, the big question there is that you will find mechanisms of survival of tumor cells in a Petri dish, but whether they equate to what's going on in patients, of course, is, can be a Grand Canyon of leap, but you know, that's, those are the two ways that we look at it. Well, what about using like an organoid model? I don't know if there's like, you know, colorectal organoids and perhaps that would be a little closer or is mouse yes. model close? No, it's a great point. We are talking to a, you know, doing a collaboration with organoid uh, in CRC. And so that's another, another area that we will pursue. We don't have the expertise here at Cardiff, but we, we can collaborate with them. Uh, there's several academic groups that have them up and running. So there, what you could do is take organoids that they have already in freezer that they grow, and then you can look for res- resistant mechanism with Novastertip. We simply, you know, we, we got in um, and wanted to see if we had efficacy. Now that we're seeing efficacy, now obviously there's reasons to spend money and resources uh, to look at resistance mechanisms. Well, I know no one wants it to happen, but you know, if your life is at stake, I mean, is there one of the cancers that you work on where a biopsy is not horribly invasive? So you could give this to them and yeah. do a, a biopsy, you know, a month or so down the road and see, you know, what's the change been? Yeah, I mean, that's, of course, and that, that of course, is the ultimate 
thing to do, to your point. It's hard to do that within the, the, those are usually very difficult to implement. There are some academic groups that do that for different cancer types. Like for instance, you know, we're, we're hooking up with a academic group out of, um, they're out of uh, Oregon, uh, the Oregon State Health Science Center, um, where they're doing a trial where our drug is going to go into patients and we're going to get a biopsy 10 days after 10 days of uh, continuous of daily treatment, or they've taken our drug daily for 10 days, then get another biopsy and see what the difference is. So, so those kinds of changes and looking at that is, those are the ultimate ways to do it. Well, where does this KRAS mutation show up? Does it, you know, what if it shows up in a melanoma or something that's so surface that a biopsy would be not trivial, but very doable? And then maybe well, you could the, see it. The majority of KRAS cancers, I mean, they're about, across all cancer types, I think about 25 to 30% of the can, of cancers in general have a KRAS mutation, but the majority of them are in pancreatic, 95% of them, colorectal, 50%. And then in lung cancer, um, non-small cell lung cancer, I believe it's in the 30, 30, 35% level. Those are your major cancer types. Melanoma is a, I, I'm not sure. Um, there they have BRAF mutations, which is a different kind of kettle of fish, but it's in the same pathway as KRAS. But I think, you know, so I, the answer to your question is we would have, I think, you know, the one thing that we are thinking about doing that we can do in the pancreatic trial that we're started, we've actually are doing this is uh, we are doing organoids uh, in pancreatic and then looking for sensitivity to ambassador um, within the organoid of the, of the same patient as being treated and being able to look at the underlying genetics of that tumor. So there we might have, I think um, because these uh, organoids are, we can set them up and we're working with a group out of UCSD here down the street. And so we are excited about that. There we might be able to get some clues on the resistance mechanisms. What do you, are you able to maybe fluorescently tag this enzyme and see where it goes in the cells and how it's used and how it travels throughout the body? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's the PLK one, the enzyme is, is um, quite well characterized in the sense of what it does in the um, what we call the mitotic machinery, that is during the cell division, it has some uh, multiple uh, functions within in that last part of when cells are going from one to two. And so, I, you know, there's been a lot of basic research that's been done on PLK1 and how it interacts with a whole host of other proteins, enzymes that are involved in the what we call the mitosis or my, mitotic uh, machinery of a cell dividing. I would imagine that people have fluorescently tagged it and looked at it. Um, there's been, it's PLK1 was first discovered out of a, out of a yeast, you know, studies in, in, uh, in yeast. And um, so it, it's, it's been, it's known, well known, uh, the function of PLK1. But the question really comes, came down to is how good of a drug target is it? How do you inhibit it and get efficacy? Yeah. Well, I just wondered if, again, if you're able to tag it, then in any model that you run it in, you could get more insight as to actually what's going on because yeah. you, know, you said like in vitro is obviously very different, you know, cells sitting in serum versus like in situ in the body is maybe totally different with signaling. So maybe yeah, we can't without being invasive. Yeah. Yeah. We can't really do, it's an internal enzyme within the cell and it's um, it can't be readily fluorescently tagged in patients. If that's what you're asking, it can't do that, but uh, we can look downstream of it in patients and just see what it, it, you know, it's hitting and what it's phosphorylating and what it's doing, but it's harder in patients to kind of dissect that, that process. 
Okay. Just wondering, right. trying to, trying to right. help you, give you some ideas. No, I'm, I'm all ears. You, you never know when you get the good ideas. And so uh, I'm all ears, but yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, we do have some to your point, you know, what we've been talking about. I mean, it would be great to have the ultimate pre and post biopsy tissue biopsy. What do you think is possible in the next year or two, you know, short term, we're almost done by the way, uh, short term next year or two, what do you think you're going to progress to and figure out by then? Well, I mean, our focus is pretty simple. We've got to do all we can to get this drug across the threshold and get it to um, at least a, an accelerated approval or a conditional approval so that we can get this into patients. So, you know, our, our job as the drug developers and scientists here is to really push as hard as we can and um, be able to do the, the clinical trials with the rigor that the FDA uh, will give the nod to. And, and we will get this into patients. So in the next couple of years, that's what we're doing. I mean, that's what it's going to, it takes that kind of time. So that's for, for us, I, I think it's the most important thing is to stick to our, as they say, stick to your knitting and uh, just keep your head down and focus and execute. And that's what we're doing. And um, our company, you know, Cardiff is, it's got the funds, has the runway uh, to be able to do that. Um, so we're well-funded, and so really our, we have no excuses. We have to focus on what we're doing to get this across the threshold. Okay. Well, very good. Um, what's the best way for people to keep tabs on progress and to find out more oh, about Cardiff? Sure. I mean, we're publicly traded. CRDF is our, our ticker, NASDAQ. You can go to our website, www.cardiffoncology, all one word, .com. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a – our website is – uh, very user-friendly and tells you all the latest and uh, latest and greatest of Cardiff and what we're doing and what we've presented and press releases and posters okay. and presentations. So you, you, it's all there. And um, okay. so that's uh, one way to keep up. If you're really, really interested, you can contact us to to point. So you get on our quote unquote mailing list where you, you get uh, information emailed to you. So. All right. Well, very good. Well, Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. And uh, what what you're doing is critical. So thank you. Thank you so much for your interest and in uh, talking to me and giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about Cardiff Oncology and what we're doing. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.